Thanks, James. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, I'm humbled and honored to be standing here today. Uh, God is good, and I love Christ Point, and I love y'all. I love the people of Christ Point dearly. For some reason, I'm so drawn to the church, uh, to the bride of Christ. As I've said before, and I'm guessing many of you agree, there's no more important entity on the planet than Jesus' bride, the church. At Christ Point, we exist to point people to Jesus. It's our heartbeat, it's our DNA, it's our reason for existing. One of our four core objectives is encountering the life-transforming Word of God. We want this for all of us. And this is why on Sundays, we often walk through a book of the Bible. And I love this when we walk through an Old Testament book. I love the stories. I love picturing myself being there and wondering what it was like. Then adding that it's the Holy Word of God makes it so solemn. Uh, it makes it so significant to me. Even the most seemingly meaningless story comes alive because God saw fit to record it in His Word. God's Word is living. His Word is active. It's unchanging and it's perfect. It's always effective. So we study his word and it impacts every area of our lives, even when it feels random. And I pray that the people of Christ Point will understand this connection. That all of God's word is useful for us now and for all eternity. Today we're continuing our study of Nehemiah and covering chapters 6 and 7. In one word, today's sermon is about perseverance. And the older I get this term perseverance becomes more and more important to me. It humbles me. According to dictionary.com, the word perseverance means steady persistence in a course of action, especially in light of difficulties, obstacles, and discouragement. And our world is filled with a lot of really good starters. In life, in projects, in goals people set, in changes that people want to make, and see in themselves and changes we want to see in ourselves, in tasks or jobs that we want to do. But finishing is a different story. Finishing well is even more rare, and this is where the real men and the real women arrive. And one consistent characteristic that they all have is this ability to persevere in their course of action when most others quit. They push through even when it appears that nothing in or around them agrees with this. Their emotions and feelings, or lack of feelings at times, don't cause them to walk away. Whatever it takes is their mantra. In my life, particularly up until I was about 40-ish, I started a lot of things, and I finished far fewer things. I'd start a diet, and I'd quit. I'd start a workout routine, and I would quit. I'd start a work project or focus area, and that got difficult, and eventually I'd quit. I'd start a side business, and I'd quit. I'd start a Bible reading plan, and I'd quit. I'd start a discipleship meeting with somebody, and eventually we'd both quit. I'd plan to become a better husband, and that got really difficult, and so I would quit. You name it, and I probably started it and quit it several times. Back then, I used to think very little about the downside or the consequences of not finishing, the consequences of quitting of not finishing something that I had started. But then about a decade ago, some things in me began to change. 
through prayer, my own prayers, and the prayers of several people who care about me, I started to see the importance of not quitting, of actually finishing. It's hard to explain, but it's like it became clear to me that quitting chiseled away at my soul. It became um, clear that I was being dishonest with myself and with those that counted on me to lead them, to provide for them, to support them and care for them. I got to the point where I stopped starting something if I wasn't truly committed to finishing. It became clear to me that finishing a few things really well was much, much better than starting a bunch of things and not finishing many of them or any of them. Bottom line for me, I wanted to become a person who kept my word, not just to you and not just to my friends and family, but most importantly to God. Because I made a connection that if I don't, even when nobody else is going to know, then I ultimately will not keep my word to you. And the same is true for this to happen, we must persevere. And when things get difficult and even when things get boring, I don't know if you've had similar experiences. Nehemiah comes so alive to me. It's about the essence of life, discerning what God has put us here to do and doing it to the end, no matter what. And this is what we learn about seven. The essential theme, again, is persevering or pressing on, finishing what we start through relying. So let's read the first part of chapter six. Now, just a quick note. There's some weird names in this in this section of the Bible. I spent a lot of time practicing them, but I still might jack them up. My prayer at the moment is that if I do, that God will give you the grace to persevere and move on. Okay? So, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 1, 1 through 9. Now, when Samballad and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Samballad and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Samballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to them saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. But they all, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So to put this in the context, the Israelites are essentially finished with the wall, They've closed the breaches, but still need to finish the gates. So you might be asking yourself, what's the point in the passage? This is, at least this is what I ask. Who cares? Why does it matter? I think there are four key points in chapters 6 and 7 that I'd like to quickly go through. Point one, we are to persevere through overt opposition. Again, we are to persevere through overt 
opposition. In the beginning of verses 6, we see Nehemiah do this. In verse 1, it shows that Nehemiah sees how far they've come, but also the work they still need to do. He states that they built the wall and no breaches were left in it, but that they had not set up the doors and the gates. So he has a wise and realistic grasp on their situation. And then in verse 2, we see his enemies become active in their attempts to oppose and also deceive Nehemiah. <coughs> Excuse me. But Nehemiah sees through it right away. And I believe one thing that allowed Nehemiah to see through their phoniness immediately is that he never gave them the benefit of the doubt. He moves to reply swiftly. In verse 3 it says, And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And I love this. I love this about Nehemiah. He knew that his assignment from God was so big it was so important that he could not be distracted. And perhaps more importantly, he didn't want to be distracted. I believe that Nehemiah loved doing what God had assigned him to do. I believe we all have an assignment from God that is equally important. This is true whether you're staying at home with your children, whether you're working at the bank or working outside, or if you're studying at school. I also believe it's possible, perhaps even prayerfully expected, for us to love doing what God created us for and assigned us to do as well. I believe there was nowhere else on the planet that Nehemiah wanted to be. So anyone requesting that he stop had to be an enemy. His heart positioning, his heart's alignment with his heavenly father allowed him to quickly sniff out the lies of his enemy. And he wastes no time shutting them down and then has no problem doing it over and over and over and over. Four times he has the same answer. So again, whatever it takes. Keep in mind that, that Nehemiah left a really good gig. He was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. He likely had some serious influence in the palace. And the king had to trust him completely. He, he left all of this to go to a broken down spot on the edge of the empire to rebuild a wall of rubble. How did he see this? In verse 3 it says, I am, he says, I am doing a great work. So the question I have is by whose standard is this great work that Nehemiah is doing? I believe it's by God's standard, by eternity's standard. God's name was at stake. The walls were going to protect God's people. He left the post that the world would say was great to do what he knew was eternally great. His perspective is eternal. And I just love this. I love spending time around people who have an eternal perspective. It just changes everything. For us today, what we're doing with our lives in terms of career or vocation or schooling matters less than for whom we're doing it and how we're doing it. If we're offering our lives up to God through Christ in us and daily submitting to His will and to His word, and persevering through opposition, we are doing a great work. In verse 5, Sam Ballot raises the stakes. He sends an open letter, which means it was read publicly, that spews lies and rumors about a revolt. It contained little nuggets of truth that were then twisted to draw conclusions that were false. And how did Nehemiah respond? In verse 8, he says he rejected the allegations right away, and he kept doing what he was called to do. 
One thing I've noticed in being in the church and being surrounded by really, really nice people is that when we are accused of something that isn't accurate, or isn't accurate, there's a tendency to back away, to pull back and speak softly if we speak at all. But Nehemiah does not take this approach. He directly and unapologet- unapologetically refutes the lies. So please hear me. I, I'm not saying that we should go around reacting quickly and loudly to situations. I'm just saying that it's important to remember that God's enemies, our enemies, try to discourage us by any means necessary. And we have an obligation to ourselves and to each other to defend God's truth and God's word. Another one of our four core objectives at Christ Point is experiencing authentic community. And we reference Ephesians 4.15, that's where Paul says, speak the truth in love. And we focus and we, we attempt to do that. Then notice what else uh, did Nehemiah also do. Verse 9 says he prayed for God to strengthen his hands so that he wouldn't grow weak in his work. The book of Nehemiah is consistently emphasizing prayer. As I grow older and better looking, I might add, uh, I find my reliance on prayer to be growing. I simply cannot get through the day without praying to my Father. I'm not strong enough and I'm not good-looking enough, I'm not good enough, and I'm not kind enough. I'm just not able to persevere without divine intervention. What's interesting is that the more I turn to God in prayer, the more activity I find myself getting done. Prayer fuels the action. It fuels the movement. And this is what we see in Nehemiah. And I love this about Nehemiah. I just love this about this passage. So my second point is, the first point was persevering through overt opposition. My second point is we are to persevere through covert opposition. Through less obvious and covert opposition. These next verses show how Nehemiah does this, starting in verse 10. Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Samballad, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. In verse 10 we see where the opposition now shifts to more sneaky attempts to sabotage Nehemiah's plan. Shemaiah tries to lure Nehemiah into the temple. And so how did Nehemiah respond? He said, no way was he going to do that. In verse 11, he says, should such a man as I run away and go into the temple? So the question I have is, what allowed him to be so confident in this answer? And I believe it's because he knew God's word. He knew the Pentateuch said only priests could go into the temple and only at certain specific times. So to break this law would be to sin which then confirmed for Nehemiah that Shemaiah was not from God and that what Shemaiah wanted Nehemiah to do was not God's will. 
we all want to know what God's will is. We want to know for our lives, for situations we're in, and for decisions we need to make. And so the question is, how can we know God's will? Well, one key way is by knowing God's word. He, God has revealed his will in the Bible. Our thoughts and our hearts and the actions and deeds of word and words of those around us can be examined against Scripture to determine their validity. In verse 13, Nehemiah clearly states his view. He knew it was a trap to scare him into sinning, so it would ruin his name with the people. And then I love what Nehemiah does in verse 14. He takes it to his heavenly Father. He asks God to remember the evil of his opponents. He gives it to God, and notice that he leaves it here. He does not go after them himself. Why not? That would be a logical thing to do in our world, especially today. I believe for two reasons. One, he trusts God to be the righteous judge and to settle everything. It's a revealer of his faith that God is in charge, no one gets away with anything, and there will be an accounting, and that's God's position. And two, he has, he has work to do. He's focused on a mission, and he will not be distracted. Remember in verse 3, Nehemiah says, I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. He's busy about his king's business. And I just, I just love this. Have I said I love this yet? Just a couple of times. So we've seen Nehemiah's perseverance through overt opposition and also through covert opposition. And now we move to my third point, which is we are to persevere all the way until the end. We're to persevere until the end. See how Nehemiah shows this by finishing the project, building the wall with the people. So let's read the rest of chapter 6, starting in verse 15. And just so you all know, I got some new contacts recently, and I can see really well. Is that on? Okay, sorry. But I can't see anything within like a foot and a half. So they're literally, this is the biggest font. My sermon is not 75 pages long. It's just they're like five or six words on every page. And so, I mean, I'm looking at this going, I, it's just the way it is when you get old, I guess. So anyway, this is all new to me. Um, thank you for your grace. So in verse 15, <laughs> moving on. So the wall was finished, and on the 25th day, uh, of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, And his son Jehonaman had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds and in my presence uh, and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. <laughs> so verse 15 says that the wall was finished in 52 days. They started in August and they finished in September. Are you kidding? Have they been working? I don't know about, I could be wrong about this. I didn't look up the dates. But I think they've been working on a stretch of 77, like a five-mile stretch, since like 2005. 
So he does this in, with all the opposition, attempted distractions, starting with not much and knocking it out in less than two months. Done. Bam. Do not underestimate what you, me, and we can accomplish when we're doing what God has called us to do. And when we're prayerfully submitted and obedient to Him and when we persevere. It makes me wonder how many times have we missed out on what God has for us because we either don't start or we do start and then we quit. In verse 16, Nehemiah gives all the credit for what they've accomplished to God. From Nehemiah's perspective, their enemies saw not the strength of Nehemiah and the people he was leading, but the strength of God. I don't know about you, but I want to persevere to accomplish some things that can only be explained by saying it was God. Like David said in Psalm 109.27, Let them know that this is your hand. You, O oh God, have done it. I want to persevere to become someone that those who knew me beforehand have to admit it was God that did that in me. The last time I preached, I used a personal example of patience with my family, even the teenagers in the house. This is still a huge goal of mine. To grow in patience to the point that those who know me best say, there's no other way to explain this other than God did it. I want to give and go to the point where people say, who does that? It has to be God. I want the people to, I want people to look at Christ's point and how we love each other and how we serve each other and how we do life together, being so different and yet so all in for each other and have them say, who does that? Who lives this way? It must be God. Verses 15 and 16 are so positive and triumphant. But then in the next few verses, we find out it's not over yet. Because Tobiah and the nobles of Judah are sending love letters to each other. and Not love letters, but they're sending stuff together where they're conspiring. They're trying to intimidate Nehemiah. And I have to admit, this is the part of the story that really makes me angry. The wall is finished, their enemies are running scared, and Nehemiah finds out there are traitors inside the city. Chapter 2, we learn that Tobiah, is not, he's not a Jew, he's an Ammonite. And he's actively against Nehemiah's project. He's trading intelligence, in essence, with the leaders of Judah who are inside the city. And the leaders of Judah feel a misplaced allegiance to the enemy of God's people and God's plan. In other words, they have an allegiance to their own enemy. How often do we see this in our world today? In politics, in business, even inside the church. People who should be aligned with us are aligned against us even while they hug us and smile on the outside. It's important for us to understand that the enemy, our enemy, Satan, will use any means necessary to try to thwart God's plan for us. If he has to get to us from the inside, he will try his best to do that. And this is what we're seeing described at the end of chapter 6. And this brings us to my last key point, point 4. We are to persevere in building what matters the most. We are to persevere in building what matters the most. Nehemiah shows this in how he perseveres with the people after finishing the wall. So let's read the first part of chapter 7. Now when, Nehemiah, no, excuse me, now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, 
I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is high. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. The rest of chapter 7 is, is going through the genealogy where uh, it's being decided by Nehemiah essentially who is in and who is not in. As chapter 7 unfolds, Nehemiah has a project has finished the project of rebuilding the wall. The doors have been replaced and they're now secure. So finally, it's party time. Right? No. Wrong. Apparently. Now Nehemiah has to turn his attention to the hearts of his own people. And this is where the real work begins. Chapter 7 starts with Nehemiah putting people in charge of the city and guarding the city and the gates. Then in verse 4, he starts to move into who will live there now that the walls have been rebuilt. What's at stake here is that they are seeking, with Nehemiah leading the way, the blessing of Abraham, and through this blessing, the good of all nations. This is referenced back in Genesis 12, 3. But in order to experience this blessing, the people have to be holy and consecrated, which means they have to know who they are as a people. And this is why the genealogy that composes most of chapter 7 is so important. God lays on Nehemiah's heart the process he is to use to determine who is in and who is not in. He had them return to their towns, and eventually they would be casting lots as part of the process of deciding who would live in Jerusalem. There's a parallel to this, to what we're doing in the church today. As the body of Christ, we're striving to build and preserve a true believer's church. The New Testament tells us how we do this. We call all people to repentance for their sins and to trust Jesus as their Savior. It's that simple and it's also that monumental because eternity hangs in the balance. While we do this as believers, we also have to remain vigilant and persevering like Nehemiah did. We pray for others and we point people to Jesus by having them accept the gospel and by faith trusting in Jesus. All of us who are already in are called to join in the greatest work on the planet today. It's way more than building a wall around a ruined city. It's doing what Paul says in Ephesians 4, building up the body of Christ until everyone attains to the full stature of the image of the Lord Jesus himself. So again, I ask, why does all this matter? I believe it matters because as believers, all of our life is about one essential thing. One thing. And that's prayerfully finishing the work Jesus has given us to do. We're here to prayerfully finish what Jesus has assigned us to do. In Acts 13, 36, it says about David, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. So David finished the purpose God had for him and he died. And that's a good thing. He went to be with his Savior. So how do we do this like David did? We do it through the gospel. We do it through our relationship, our communion, and our dependence on Christ. 
He did it first. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He, Jesus, is our eternal hope and our permanent hope. And in the meantime, we will not finish our work until we die and go to heaven. It's important to remember that until we die, we will never, ever arrive. And this is very humbling to me. The Apostle Paul talks about running a race. And while we're on earth, we're all running a marathon. And we might be on mile 2 or mile 22. But if we're still running, we must persevere until the end. This also means that the enemy knows we're in a race and he wants to take us out. Whether overtly, covertly, from the inside or from the outside. He wants to separate you from God's plan for you. And he will use any means necessary to do this. So to persevere and finish well, to finish strong as Nehemiah did, we have to continually guard our heart and our mind. Again, Paul tells us how to do this in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. I love this passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, the answer to persevering is through prayer and through the gospel. You know, I've made some bad decisions in my life. Some I've gotten over. Um, And there's some I haven't gotten over. I still struggle with how I could be so dumb. But by God's grace, I've also made some good decisions. What I've noticed is that some of the best decisions I've ever made have come when I didn't really feel it, but prayerfully did it anyway. Something external from myself informed me that it was the wise decision. And by external, I mean the Bible, wise and godly counsel, prayer, just pausing for a while. In these situations, my emotions were irrelevant as to whether or not it was the right decision. I mention this to beg you to beg God in prayer to reveal himself to you as he really is. To give you a heart filled with his spirit and in alignment with his eternal purposes, even when you may not feel it. Beg God to give you the gift of repentance and the gift of submission to him and to his ways. Beg God to give you wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. The older I get, the more I ask for from God. It's true. I'm getting to where I ask him for everything. I make lists. I write notes. I email myself reminders of stuff to ask him. I email myself stuff to add to the list. He might say no. I've never, ever, ever sensed that I shouldn't have asked. And I've also found that I'm flat out blown away by the prayers he's answering for me and for those I pray for. I'm just stopped in my tracks. So in closing, if you're alive today, then God has work for you to do. 
whether you're in the best shape of your life or if you struggle to get out of bed in the morning, God is not finished with you. He's not finished forming you. He's not finished shaping you. And He's not finished using you for His eternal purpose. And this is very good news for us. So, prayerfully persevere, and you'll be very glad you did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Your word is so powerful. Help everyone here to find what you put us here to do. And give us the courage and the perseverance to do it and to finish. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.